1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 11 to 36, on page 272. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, Let the fat be burned first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young man was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestor's family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestor's family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honour me, I will honour, but those who despise me, despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, 
Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. Brilliant. Well, greetings everyone. It's good to be with you. My name's Simon Gilbo. Uh, we are basically more at Stack, St. Andrew's Community Church on Fox Hill. So uh, lots of familiar faces, but lots of unfamiliar faces. Uh, before I kick into the text, this is my one shot at you probably this year. And you have been supporting us. Some of you, I mean, I first came preaching here about 20 years ago. And there's so many people that prayed for us and so into our work. So I just want to say a massive thank you for that. It's been incredibly fruitful. It's been costly, uh, but it's been very fruitful. And before I launch you into it, because we are still kind of supported by you guys, some pictures are going to come up on screen for those of you that don't know us in terms of getting a bit of context of our work. So hopefully uh, you'll, you'll see. That's where I spent 20 years of my life. Uh, it's not overstating it to say that I totally believed I'd die out there. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. It was the most dangerous country in the world. Next one shows it up, up close. So if I was out there right now, I'd say, that's, a, that's the language. Anyone get that? No? That's the language out there. Uh, Bujumbra was our home. Went out there as a single, single man. Yeah, never thought I'd get to the age of 30. Never thought I'd get married. And all that has happened. It just means that if we're here, there's a reason we're here. And uh, it, it's been an incredibly fruitful journey. Size of Wales, not a big place. Next one. That's a charity we're not setting up. Great Lakes Outreach. Uh, Great Lakes region of Africa, where that little heart is. Next one. Uh, and it's a place known for war. So yeah, lots and lots of death and bloodshed and, uh, and grimness. Next one. Uh, so yeah, my, my DNA, is, as you'll probably get, is that you know, how far is too far? If, if, what, if Jesus is who he claims to be and did what he claims to do and rose from the dead, then how far is too far when he went that far for us? And he did not go that far for us just to be nice people, comfortable people in Kundam. There's so much more to it than that. And so if you wanted to grab that afterwards, I'll be at the back. That's a book on passionate all-in discipleship. Next one is a daily devotional. I know loads of you are doing that already, but if you wanted to grab that as well, I've got one of Zappa things, you could grab that. Next one. Uh, that's, the, that's the crew in lockdown. We tried to make light of it, so that's a family. Next one. Um, look at that four-year-old blonde-haired girl there. She is four in that picture, four years old. Girl in the middle. She's four years old. She was four, she's probably dead. And I don't know how that makes you feel. That makes me weep, as well as being angry. And I, I suppose we, you know, we, we can live in the coom down bubble, and it's good to know what's going on tonight. It's the hungriest country in the world, the poorest country in the world, 56% malnourishment. And uh, that, that, that is wrong, isn't it? That girl. I mean, if she is alive, she's got stunted brain development because of not having enough food. And that is millions of people. And it hurts to engage. And we can't engage everywhere, but we need to look beyond our own, our own boundaries. So that's where the Lord's given me to sort of be my patch. I'll be back out there in three weeks' time. Next one. And this is very topical. This is very recent. Some of you who already get our emails. In the first two weeks of August, we sent out 870 young people, young evangelists, into the bush. And we read this stuff in the Bible. We think, oh, maybe it happened 2,000 years ago. It doesn't happen nowadays. They have done the Acts of the Apostles. They have cast out demons and healed the sick and got beaten up and got put in prison. 
all that stuff. We've done, done it for the last 18 years. We've seen 190,000 people come to Jesus. Next one is a witch doctor. And this witch doctor, basically our guy showed up in the village and he started doing his juju charm stuff. And then one of them said, we see that, yeah, yes, so in Jesus' name, he fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few moments later, he's like, could you, could you come back in two days? So they returned two days later. He had assembled the whole village. And at the preaching of the gospel, him burning his chance publicly, submitting to the highest power, he, 50 people in that village, gave their lives to Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? Slightly different from coming down Christianity, maybe. No, but it's the same Jesus. Next one. This is, uh, I think, Louis. Yes, yeah, so I might see Louis in a few weeks' time as well. Louis, two years ago, what you, what's great about stories is that you cannot deny stories. Louis, two years ago, was blind, completely blind. He was a widower, dumped on the street. His kids had abandoned him. Total you know, loser in the eyes of the world. And he came on one of our outreaches, and he was prayed for. He was healed. And everyone knew it. He was this blind guy, and now he's healed. And his kids have come to faith in the back of that miracle. And last Christmas, we gave him a few pigs to start, a little microfinance thing. And he's found some wrinkly old babe to get married to. And he's a happy chappy. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Next one is this lady. And she, like in the Bible, do you remember that lady who was struggling from bleeding? And so shame, disgrace, reject of society, desperate. And she reached out and had the courage, precious woman, to touch Jesus. And she was healed. And this is Helene. And she was the same. Her husband had kicked her out because she was bleeding, so he couldn't have sex with her anymore. And so she was the refuse of society. She came on our outreach, she was healed again. She rushed home, she tracked down her husband who'd gone to take another woman. She said, you're coming back with me, baby. And, and, and he's become a believer on the back of that miracle. That is our, that is our God. I, want to, I share these stories to raise faith because often we, no, we don't see much of that stuff. It's the same Lord of came down. Last one maybe on that one. And this is the uh, next one, Innocent. Look at that, I took a photo because he's the skinniest rake I know. But he's so skinny because he's so passionate for God and he fasts and prays and he has got the gift of feeling. So again, on one of our outreaches, at the end of it, Sunday, after the Sunday service, he, he, he was outside and these two mute girls, came, ladies, they came. To, you know, like, could you pray for us? So he took them around the corner into a side room. And he said, Lord, I'm willing to pray for three days to not leave this room. Please, in your mercy, heal these precious ladies. And he didn't have to pray for three days. After 10 minutes, they started speaking. And he took them around the corner. And the worship group or the choir were having a practice. And he interrupted the choir. And he said, hey, guys, I've got you two new choir members. And they said, no, that's a sick joke. Because everyone knew that they were mute. And he turned to the ladies and said, hey, was that a sick joke? Have you got anything to say? And they sang, they fell to their knees weeping. That is our God, people. And I want to stir your faith. It's amazing what's going on in the world. So in the first two weeks of August, we sent out those 830 evangelists. They led 13,000 people to Jesus. Now, I would love you, Sharon, do you want to grab those? So Sharon's just going to put these out. This is my one shot for you this year. And lots of you do pray, but I'm new to a whole bunch of you. If you want to sign up, so Sharon's going to put one in each row. I'll put one here. Just, just pass it on. Uh, so if you sign up, you will get these stories. Um, I send out about six things a year. So don't sign up if you've got too many emails, but if you do, uh, brilliant. And, and uh, if you want to get it, and then you'll hear these stories. It stirs faith, and you can be part of the movement of God worldwide. Thank you. Let's get those two Okay, that's the introduction. No, Sharon, do you want to stick it here? This one here. And then it will go backwards. You'll probably bring that one there. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, it's just easier. Bless you. Sorry. And then, and then basically they'll, they'll, all, they'll all work their way back. Okay, nice one. That's my system. Tried and tested. Okay, so that's introduction. Now you know where I'm coming from, okay? And this passage, what I love about working through a series is that you don't choose the passage. And I would never choose to preach on this passage. What a weird passage. But there's a lot going on, and it's a, it's a funky passage. And as we get into it, you know, it is a somber, solemn week, isn't it? And I went to, I went to school in London called Harrow. 
And when I was 13, we received the Queen. And it's a real privilege. There were 778 of, of us students. And she came, and we were all ready, and we attacked to the nines, and you know, we wanted to impress her, obviously give her the best that we had. And we were in speech room, and there were all sorts of different compartments in speech room. And at one stage, she stepped off the stage, and she started coming in our broad direction. She came towards us. And then beyond the, our broad direction, she came to our sort of subset. And then beyond that subset, it's like, I could have sworn she was looking at me, her eyes were on me, and I was like, my heart started thumping in my chest. And then, and then yeah, she came to our row, and then she looked me in the eye, and she said, Simon Gilbert, I want you to come to Buckingham Palace with me. Okay, that's a lie, that didn't happen. <laughs> that didn't happen, but I'm gonna come back to that. I did receive an invitation from the Queen, and what was my response? That's what I'm going to come back to. Right, spiritual health heart surgery. That's what we're looking at, spiritual heart surgery. So you were kicked off last week by Tim. Tim looked at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. It was Hannah. It was a broken heart. That was the first talk. Broken heart. We actually ended up being a rejoicing heart because God answered a desperate heart cry for a boy. And this, this week, is a, we're looking at the selfish heart, how it all went wrong. And so the elation of receiving a child, a child of the promise for, for, for Elkanah and, uh, and Hannah. And then, but she said, she said, if you grant this request, I will dedicate him to you. And so in verse 11, the first, you've got your Bibles, it's worth following this. Verse 11, this is where we launched in. It said, then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. And... Yeah, they follow through on their promise. I think sometimes we bargain with God. If you do that, I'll do that. And we don't follow through. And this was incredibly costly. So it's like Elkanah, Hannah, well done, you did it. You didn't just talk a good game, you followed through. I don't know about you other parents. And, and as we dedicate Noah, precious Noah, each time our three kids, when they were born, within minutes, I was like before the Lord saying, these are yours. They are not ours. We love them. We're going to give everything to nurture them in your ways, but they are a gift on loan, and we dedicate them to you. And so he does that. Well done, Elkanah and, and Hannah. And then we get into the meat of the text, and it is a weird text, isn't it? And culturally, it's so different. This is 3,000 years ago, remember? But there are commonalities, like Tim alluded to it last week. It was the end of Judges. The last verse in Judges was, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they pleased. And that is our culture, isn't it? Basically, everyone choosing to do as they're pleased. Complete disregard for any, any higher power. A scorning of any kind of higher power. So, although three millennia apart, there's lots of shared commonalities here. And verse 12, look at that. It said, now the sons of Eli were, were scoundrels. That's a funny word, isn't it? They were, they were, or they were corrupt in a different version. Or, or actually, the, the Hebrew word is incredibly strong. My version, 21st version, uh, century version of that verse, they were scum. And I'll tell you why they were scum, and I think you'll agree with me. Well, it says they did not know the Lord. They rejected the Lord. They were commissioned as God's representatives. So that Father Eli is the top bod in the temple. He had raised them in God's ways, but it says they did not know God. And verse 13 to 17 elaborates on the outworking. It's not just that they were antipathetic, they were disengaged. It was much bigger. The stakes were much higher. Because what happened? Verse 13 to 17. The custom was a bit weird, wasn't it? That they, the, 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 the priest lackey, so Hophni and Phineas lackey, would take a three-pronged fork and they'd stick it in the cauldron of cooking meat and whatever they landed was for the priest. So that was the custom. A bit weird, <coughs> but that's okay. 
But what did they do? There's various things they did. They, 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 they sent their lackey to do it, and to do it before they burned the fat. Now, we don't really get that, but the fact is that the, the fat was considered the best bit. And so what they were, the, the, the lackeys that were just representing Phineas and Hophni, they were saying, go there and get, get it, get it the best. The best was meant to go to God, and they were taking God's best for themselves. Now, the temptation in this passage is to think, oh, Phineas and Hophni, they're nightmares, they're complete morons, they are scum. But listen, I want to apply this to ourselves as well. How often do we not give God our best? Seriously. And he is worthy of our best. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So here they are, the, these guys, Hophni and Phineas, they're going and they're taking out the meat, not just before the fat, but it says when it was raw. Why when it was raw? Because maybe, because they wanted to cook it their own way, but actually much more likely is that they want to sell it on. It's just a racketeering, profiteering bunch of scum. Literally, they're taking sacrificially given stuff to take themselves to make more money so they can have more cushy lives. So they are, I think they really are genuinely scum. But beyond that, they send their guys and their guys abuse people. So if I'm bringing my offering, I'm probably going to say, hey, someone says, I'm going to take it now. And he said, no, you're not taking it now. I'm bringing it to the Lord. And they said, look, I'm going to punch your face in. That was what was happening. They threatened those people that bring their offerings. We want it now. And, and, and literally they'd follow through on that violent action if they didn't. And then beyond that, if you look down at verse 22, this is probably the worst and we can relate to it very much in our culture now with me too. But when Eli was very old, he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So these women had come to worship God and these patriarchal dominant, domineering men were totally abusing and misusing their position to take advantage of these women in the house of God. So I think we can probably all agree that they were scum. Objectively, they were scum. I mean, it was like a, and sadly, often we're getting scandals breaking, aren't they? I mean, the biggest one the last year was, was Ravi Zacharias, who would have had a profound influence on many of us, a worldwide ministry. And then it transpires that all sorts of horrible stuff is taking place, abuse of his position of power. And I could, you could quote someone almost every month or every week on that level. And it's, that is very objectively discouraging and demoralizing for us. It's the like, almost this triumvirate, certainly in Hophni and Phineas, it was a triumvirate of money, sex, and power. But you see, this week's talk is our selfish heart. What has gone wrong? And, and I think Jeremiah 17 verse 9, he talks about the human heart. The human heart is deceitful above all things, and who can understand it? So, and then you've got verses 23 to 26. And so Eli is not innocent. He's probably a, a nice old duffer. You know, he's probably, he's probably a good guy. But he's weak, and he should be rebuking and disciplining them, but he doesn't. Listen to this pathetic, honestly pathetic rebuke of his sons, who are not just his sons, but they're his employees in the temple. And he says, why do you do such things? Basically, he's saying, mm, please stop it. And these guys are, are, are ministering before the Lord of Lords. And they're completely abusing their situation, total disdain for the holy. And Eli did just about the worst thing a parent can do in trying to correct their children. Just talk. 
What he did was whine about what was going wrong rather than taking his God-given responsibility as a father which is a, and as a mother. So for our parenting, it's interesting what that looks like, isn't it? Because we want to show grace. We want to love and, and encourage our children. But at the same time, at key stages, when mistakes have been made, you have to follow through with consequences. But he didn't. And there were massive consequences, as we shall see, to their disobedience, to the generations. Now, this is almost funny, so I'm prefacing it. I'm giving you permission to laugh on this one. But, uh, you know, this is parental advice to, to Eli from a 17th century theologian called John Trapp. So I'm not sure we parents would talk to our kids like this. But this is what John Trapp in the 17th century recommended Eli should have said to his kids. Draw near hither, ye sons of the sorceress, the seed of the adulterer and whore, ye degenerate brood, ye brats of fathomless perdition. It is stark, stinking naught that I hear, and woe is me that I have yet to live to hear it. It had been better had I died long since, and that you had been buried alive than thus to live and stink above the ground. <sighs> Those are hard words, aren't they? But they were, they were worth it. They were worth it, because these guys were completely beyond abusing their positions. They had a total disregard and fear of the Lord. And so then this, this anonymous man of God, prophet, shows up. Look at verses 27 to 23. And he's an unknown man of God, but he speaks clearly and uncompromisingly and truthfully, and he pronounces judgment on Eli. Eli's family will be cut off from the office of high priest. And, you know, it would have been easy for Eli to say, well, it's not me, it's my sons. But he had that double accountability for his sons, not just because they were his sons as a father, although that changes a bit into adulthood, they've got to be responsible for their own actions, but also as the high priest. His sons worked for him as priests, and Eli, in that sense, he was a bad boss. He was, it was a dereliction of his own duty. Look at verse 30. Massive pronouncement here. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares... So this is the man of God speaking on God's behalf. This is what God declares to you, Eli. I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. That had been the promise. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. Now the first half of that I love, I love, and I've quoted lots of times, those who honour me I will honour. And that I've, I've loved experiencing that verse as we seek to honour him, he's poured out so much blessings on us. But the context is that those who despise me will be disdained. And so verse 31, oh dear, the time is coming when I will cut short your strength, Eli, and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And then verse 34 and 36, now this shall be a sign to you that you will, that you will, you will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And this shall be a sign, he said, now, follow me here. Since the fulfillment of the judgment, ultimately of cutting off Eli's line, was going to be further. It was, it was going to be decades later in Solomon's reign, not in their lifetime. God therefore gave Eli an immediate sign to demonstrate his truthfulness. And that was that Eli's sons would die in one day. And Eli would see this and know the judgment of God had come on his house. So, I'm not going to read it now, but if you looked at uh, chapter 4, verse 10 and following, it happened. So Hophni 
and Phineas, these scum of the earth guys that were meant to be representing God, complete disregard. There was an Israelite battle going on, and uh, they were they were caught, they wheeled on with the Ark of the Covenant to boost morale, if you like, like it was some magic charm. But 30,000 Israelites lost their lives, and they themselves were slain. And the Ark was captured, and Israel was in complete disarray, and a, a messenger came back to, to report to Eli, and he was there, sat down, and then he stood up, and he was 98 years old at this stage, and he heard that his sons had died, and he fell back, and he broke his neck, and he died. Meantime, Hophni's wife was in childbirth. She gave birth to a child. She died in childbirth. The baby they called Ichabod, the glory of the Lord, has departed. What a mess. Seriously, what a mess. But listen, my favorite, almost crucial verse, I think this passage is verse 35. Look down at verse 35. This is God's voice. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in his, in my heart and mind, in God's mind and God's heart. So, you know, talking about our selfish heart, let's look at the heart of God. See, God's heart is pure. God's heart is generous. God's heart is caring. It's tender. It's loyal. It, it, it's loving. And it's gracious. It's not like our hearts are greedy, distracted, fickle, absorbed, twisted hearts. Now listen, why is this verse so important? You can easily miss it. Because God says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. And that happens. That's partially fulfilled in Samuel. Right now, Samuel, that little kid is being raised in the temple as the replacement of Phineas and Hophni because of their ungodly behavior. So there's partial fulfillment there. Secondly, there's partial fulfillment decades later in Zadok. Abiathar, who was from Eli's reign, he gets knocked off and Zadok, a different lineage, a different heritage, he takes on and he fulfills the priestly duties. And that was the fulfillment of the promise ending Eli's lineage. But then the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is in Jesus. And who was the great high priest? Who was the ultimate faithful priest? And I love it how the Bible holds together. And we got to see the Old Testament through the New Testament. So if we come to Zadok, and, and you know, as the, um, as the temple worship evolved, if you like, what happened in the temple? I need, I need, uh, I need eight volunteers. Last, annoyingly, at the first service, I had time to grab people. Can I grab you eight? Can you, can you come? All that front row, can you come? Just come up here. You don't have to do anything. I just need some healthy people that I can... Is that eight of you? Two, three, four. It is eight. Brilliant. So, Alexa, you stand there. You stand here next to it. Right, you guys come here. About here. You can face, face that way. Brilliant. You, you go on this step. Two there. That's enough. And then you guys come down here. Right, face the, face the front if you like. So this is ultimate. Face that way. Good. All right, so these are different walls, different barriers. We're in the, we're in the temple, okay? So in the Old Testament times, this is now Zadok, Zadok when he's ministering. And we, you know, religion, we, we create loads of barriers, don't we? Stopping people come to God. God forgive us for that. There are not, we don't need those barriers. Basically, in the temple, all of us, I think pretty much all of us, we might have the odd Jewish heritage person here, but basically, uh, all of us Gentiles, we could not go into the temple. We weren't allowed. This is the temple, different barriers. We're, so we were like the unclean. We're out here as Gentiles. And then, so only Jews could come into here. But here was another barrier. And you women, Jewish women, you were allowed up to there. And then beyond here, so only men could come here. And then it was the barrier to the priesthood. So Sharon, no, Sharon's not ordained. You couldn't get in there. But Tim and Sean and Katie, they can go beyond there. And, and so this is the holy place. And then here is the barrier. Massive thick curtain. Not some puny little, you know, curtain. But that thick of, of, of cloth. 
from, from top to bottom. And this was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, one person, the great high, the most high priest, once a year was allowed in. He had a rope tied around his ankle because it was so holy. If it, what if he had a heart attack in there? No one could go. So he had to yanked out that way. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? What happened when, when he died on the cross? What happened in the temple? The temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. And what did that mean? You know, I love it how the Bible holds together. Because do you remember John the Baptist when he saw his, his, um, his cousin Jesus? John 1, 29. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. What a weird thing to say, Lamb of God. But that's because they were constantly bringing sacrifices in the old system. Lambs, goats, whatever, typically. But when that temple was caught, was, was torn, basically it meant that now there's no longer any barriers. We can all go in. Sorry, chaps, you can go sit down. And, and so now, but here there's still barriers. It's not ladies. It's not that you can only come up to here. Sorry about that. No, of course, there's complete freedom to go in. All of us can come up to here. And it's not just Tim and Sean. And no, it's a priesthood of all believers. All of us. So come on, enough off. Right. And, and then lastly, surely we can't go in there. I mean, that is the once a year one person chosen. The rope runs through the nose. Surely not. But actually, again, top to bottom, from God to us. Watch out, go and sit down. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. That is, that, is, that is so important. And can you see the utter disregard of Phineas and uh, Hophni? They just didn't give a monkey. They had no concept of the holiness of God. And I think we've lost the holiness of God. I think you'd agree with that. We can treat him with such disrespect and casual ambivalence sometimes at best. And verse 25, so verse 35 is one of my favourite, verse 25 is another one, because Eli, when he's rebuking his sons, he says to them, he asks them, but it's, like, it's like a rhetorical question, if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? And you see, the answer again for us looking at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament is that we do need an intercessor, a spokesman on our behalf, and Jesus was the great high priest. You, don't, you didn't bring a chicken this morning to offer, did you? No, because you didn't need to. Or a lamb or a goat or a sheep. No, because the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. This, the Messiah, um, Isaiah 53, who's going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter, who went there willingly, once for all in Hebrew speak. That sacrifice of made once for all so that we can be free and acceptable to God. So if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? And it's a big question. But verse 35 does it. God will raise up the ultimate, faithful, high priest, the most high, God in human flesh, so that you and I can be reconciled, the whole of of the world, the whole of humankind to himself. So listen, as we draw to a close, open heart surgery, that's what this series is, isn't it? And so we looked at a broken heart last week, and now we're looking at uh, this week, we looked at our selfish heart. And a picture's just going to come up on the screen now as we come to an end. And it's a picture of a heart, because we're looking at the theme is open heart surgery. And this is a picture I'm using loads, and I'm just going to say it right now, and if you signed up, email me, because I want to train you, because I don't think many of us are very uh, sort of proactive in terms of sharing our faith, and that's what Tim was on about in terms of getting out the church building and the announcements there. So if you email me, and I promise you, I will train you in this. And I've, I've led loads of people to Jesus through this simple picture. That's a picture, essentially, of modern day, because there was uh, Light of the World, Holman Hunt, 1853. That's a, that's a modern day version of that. That is Jesus at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. Such a simple picture to understand. But look where the handle is. It's on the inside, which means that only you can open it. 
And so I was doing this a couple of days in Fox Hill, and the guy said, yeah, I want to open it. But you just talk them through it. You know, that's, that's the invitation. Most of us this morning, we've already opened and let Jesus in, but some of you maybe haven't. Well, Revelation 3.20, from which it's taken, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him or her and she with me. That's the offer. So if you've never done it, you could do it this morning. But most of us, we sort of let in a bit, but we're holding at arm's length in different areas of our compartmentalized faith. Says, I want to come in, not a killjoy, but I want to share everything. And as you, I'm talking to a guy down the street or on the first walking the dog or wherever, it's so easy to do this, again, if you're up for being trained in it. And you, you say, you know, picture yourself with a rucksack on. And like rocks, if you put the bad stuff you've ever done, like rocks in your rucksack, would it be heavy? And people tend to chuckle and say, it'd be heavy. I'm like, I'm 49 years old, so your mind would be fucking heavy, yeah, because I've done loads of bad stuff. And that causes a, a block a barrier between us and God, and it stops us having a relationship with him. And it's relationship he wants, not religion. And they nod and say, yeah, yeah. I say, well, how about this? If I, if I Simon, wrote you, Sharon, let's say you had a debt of 10 grand, and I wrote you a check for 10 grand, and we stick it in your account, what happens to that debt? It goes, doesn't it? It just goes. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He wrote that check, he signed in his blood. And when he rose to the debt, he paid that debt so that you could be free. That's the message that we believe in. That's the message, that's, that's the invitation to everyone today. What an incredible offer. The, our offer is that basically so many people are stressed. And if you are stressed, come to Jesus, let him in everywhere. And your stress will diminish. I'm not saying he's going to get rid of it, all of it, because life is tough, isn't it? But he's with us. He's on our side. He provides freedom from guilt and shame, assurance of forgiveness, assurance of his presence. And so he gives us a healthy sense of self-worth where there's so much shame and self-loathing. He gives us a sense of purpose. He enables us to be realistic, but actually even optimistic about the coming days, which are going to be dark. But we are here for such a time as this. We don't need to be negative and feeling a sense of impending doom. And at the end of the story, he calls us to live by faith, not fear. Guys, what an incredible offer. He's at the door for the first time, or, or in a deeper way, you can let him into your situations today. So we we're finished. My Invitation to Buckingham Palace. I lied about the first one, this one's true. And uh, so it's in 2018 and I got a letter and a phone call and yeah, I was being, I was being, wife and I were being given an award by the Queen. But do you know what, I'd seen her. I'd seen her back in 1987 at Harrow. So I'd already seen her. And I've seen her loads of times on TV and uh, I've gone to Buckingham Palace, I've walked past as a tourist to Buckingham Palace and I, I've written you know, some documentaries on her. So, so, what was my reply? What would be your reply? I was like, not bothered. No, of course not. Yeah, bring it on. What an invitation. What a privilege. And we went and we had a great time there. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, it might not seem that's amazing, but it's way more amazing than going to Buckingham Palace. The invitation you got this morning. It's the, the King of Kings, the Sovereign of Sovereigns, whom, Jesus, who, who, whom our, our precious Queen is now worshipping in his presence. So it's much more important. The stakes are much higher, and the invitation is to come to him. And, you know, there, there will be a judgment day. This is all very Old Testament, isn't it? But, and our problem is, please don't compare yourself to Hophni and Phinehas, because they were scum, and they were judged for it. But actually, I know my own heart. It's deceitful above all things. And it is actually, it's a new heart. 
God has taken my heart of stone and replaced it with the heart of flesh. This is all prophetic language. But I know, I know, on my own I stand condemned. And you don't, you don't measure greatness by standing next to you know, people down there. No. Stand next to true greatness. And that is after the perfection of our Heavenly Father. And we all are guilty and fall on that level. And he says, come. And that's the invitation. That's the invitation. So come this morning. You could have a dis- disillusioned heart. You could have a weary heart. A broken heart. A grieving heart. A fragile heart. A selfish heart. And he says, come. Open the door. Enlighten him. Absolute game changer. What are you going to do? Why don't we stand and pray? Worship guys, do you want to come up? And uh, please don't check out this is the most important time we've got now in response. Again, just maybe a few of us. We've never let Jesus in. And maybe this morning you understand somehow the magnitude of, well, the seriousness of our condition, but the magnitude of the incredible offer of God's grace in Jesus. And he's knocking the door, the handle's on the inside. Only you can open it. He's not forcing his way in. But there is that barrier, that heaviness, those rocks in your heart. It weighs you down, separating you. You can, you can receive grace today. He'll pay, he's paid the check. You've just got to cash it. And things will change. And then some of us, we, we know we, we're holding him at arm's length. There are areas of compromise. We might be letting him, or he's still in the vestibule, the hall, and he's saying, no, I want to come all in, not to be a joy killer, not to limit you, to give you life to the full. Father, will you meet with us right now? Come, Holy Spirit, will you meet with us in this strange national time of a grieving sense of loss, emptiness, whatever we're going through, will you meet with us? Pray with the psalmist, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in a way everlasting.